0: this photograph, this meme that's been going around the internet lately. It's a picture of a woman who's bending with her hands on her knees, looking intently, and this is what the description says. Me looking outside to see what chapter of Revelation we're doing today. (laughs) When I saw that, uh, it was a good moment to laugh because I've needed it. I don't know about you, but these last few weeks have been some of the darkest weeks that I've experienced in our nation. It just seems like everything is going crazy. Not only are we trying to, to navigate a pandemic, but we're living in the midst of much turmoil. And as everyone knows, our nation is in a midst of anguish, and protests are taking different forms over the death of George Floyd, the man who uh, was killed by police officers and have now been arrested and charged with murder. And it's not been surprising for me, at least, to see protests going on over this. We've had protests in our own nation on many occasions before. But what has surprised me was to see how the death of George Floyd has sparked protests around the world. From London to Japan, from France to Amsterdam, from Rotterdam to Berlin. And even I saw this one picture on the internet of a place in Syria where an artist in the midst of a a building that had been um, destroyed by bombing, I'm presuming, he painted a, a picture, a mural of George Floyd with the now iconic words, I can't breathe. To say that we are living in extraordinary times would probably be Uh, ...putting it a bit too tidy. (laughs) To say that we are living in troubled and distressing and disturbing times is probably spot on. We live in a world of hurt. There's no question about that. And we know intuitively that some things are just wrong. We know that racism is wrong. We know that abuse of power is wrong. We know the destruction of personal property is wrong. We know that people getting hurt innocently is wrong... And we look at this world and part of us just wants to cry out and and to cry out to God and to ask some deep questions. It's in times like these that many of us have real honest to God questions deep down in us, but we don't know what to do with them. Questions like, Lord, where are you? Do you care? Do you see what's going on? How long? Do we have to live in a world where there's so much pain and so much brokenness? And if you've had some of those thoughts, I want you to know that there is a resource that God has given to us to help us to process those thoughts and those questions and those concerns and those moments of anguish before him. It is an ancient form of prayer called lament, And this lament is given to us for for times when we can't see very far in front of us, when it seems like everything is crumbling and society has gone crazy, and we ask some of those deep questions from God. And so this resource is meant to help us process that. Jesus himself used lament. And this is what one scholar called the lost language of prayer. And so we're going to call our study today the voice of lament, and the cry for justice. And we're going to be in Psalm chapter 10. And I want us to pay attention to some very real honest questions that probably many of us are a little bit shy of speaking out loud. So with the Lord's help, let us dive into these scriptures, to this poem, to this song, and to see what it says. Chapter 10 of Psalms, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Let me ask you a question. How does this sit with you? How does this feel to you? Does it seem a little bit too edgy? Maybe irreverent? I mean, he's he's calling God out, isn't he? Why are you standing on the sidelines? Why are you standing far away You should be running to the battle. You should be addressing the situation. Why are you hiding yourself? If you feel like that's a bit too edgy and maybe even blasphemous, I'm with you. (laughs) I've had thoughts like this before, but I'm reluctant to articulate them. There's a maxim that I've tried to live by, and it goes something like this. Just because a thought enters your head doesn't mean it needs to leave your mouth. (laughs) I've tried to teach my children this Uh, quote this maxim as well and when I've remembered it it's kept me from saying things I wish I hadn't said and there are other times when I've forgotten this and I've said things and I wish I could have taken them back but when it comes to prayer it seems like even if we have thoughts like this we shouldn't be saying it out loud to God right It, it just seems a bit irreverent maybe blasphemous too accusatory But what I want us to see, my friends, is this kind of language is all throughout the scriptures. Take, for example, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow all day long? Or how about Psalm 22? These are words that Jesus himself prayed on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. One more from Psalm 44. Awake, why are you sleeping, Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. The Psalms are filled with these kinds of laments. Over a third of the Psalms contain this kind of language. Where are you, God? Why? How long? Wake up. Why is the psalmist speaking like this? He looks around and he sees what's going on in his world. In in the society in which he lives, he sees oppression. He sees injustice. And like an attorney, he brings his case before God. And here's a key thought as we get ready to unpack this a little bit. The voice of lament seeks to have what one scholar called a difficult conversation with the king of the universe. That's what he's doing. And before we look back and see what the rest of what he is saying uh, contains for us, I I want to point out just a quote from a book. It's called The Justice Calling by two ladies, Bethany Hong and Kristen Johnson. And this is what they say to help us kind of understand a little bit about this language. Woven throughout scripture is an unguarded type of prayer known as lament. To lament is to ask why and why not, as well as what are you doing, God, and where are you? To lament is to pour out our hearts, holding nothing back. It is to pray without trying to be more full of faith than we actually are. And by the way, I love what H.B. Charles said. He said, for the record, there is nothing spiritual about acting as if life does not hurt when life hurts. God doesn't want us to put on a mask and come before him. And to pretend to be something that we're not in the moment. We're invited to have the difficult conversation with the king of the universe. And so the psalmist, like an attorney, brings before the Lord what is going on with this world. Verse 2 he says, In arrogance the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face. The wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. And he tells us next what breaks his heart. Verse 10, the helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He, that is the helpless, says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. This is what's breaking his heart. He looks around in his world and he sees violence and he sees oppression and he sees murder. And he sees people who have no power being crushed and in despair because they feel like God has forgotten them. So he's, he's making this lament before the Lord. He's having a difficult conversation with God. And here's another key thought. If lament is having a difficult conversation with God, it is also a conversation in which our faith is seeking understanding. It's trying to put things together in the mind that don't make sense. Again, the women who wrote the justice calling are helpful. Listen to what they say. Lament is prayer that honors the honesty of pain and anger while also honoring the truth that God is the one who reigns and whose hesed love, that is his covenant love, never fails. Lament holds in tension all the suffering that seems to to, uh, make no sense with a determination to believe that God is just. Lament draws us to God when we are tempted to turn away. Lament enables us to keep moving forward with perseverance. It is a way to remain Deeply connected to the God who loves us and loves justice, even when injustice makes us ask the hardest questions of God. So my friends, what I want us to see as we work through this passage is raising the voice of lament is a biblical form of protest before God about the way things are. Raising the voice of lament is a biblical form of protest before God about the way things are, because it assumes that God cares. After all, another psalm tells us God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. The psalmist assumes that the indignation he feels at seeing the harm going on in his society, at seeing the violence happening around him, that God shares his heart, and he's indignant about this as well. And so the lament is trying to hold that truth that God is righteous and he must feel indignation with what is going on in our real lived experience in this world. And so from that conviction, this is what the psalmist says next. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. He calls God to move to action. Verse 13. Why does the wicked renounce God and in his heart? He will not call to account. But you do see and you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The arm in scripture is symbolic of a person's power. And he sees the wicked in his society prospering. He sees them getting away with murder. He sees oppression. He sees people abusing what God has given to them, power, which is meant to, use to be served and to love other people. And because they're misusing it, he calls God to break their power. So here's another key thought. When we lament, we are praying a version of Jesus' prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are wanting God's righteousness and his rule to be felt now. And so we pray, recognizing that he is our king. In fact, that's where the psalmist lands here in verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land that word land there is the same word used to describe or translate the word earth in the, opening cha- in the opening chapter and verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so here he recognizes God is king and wickedness must perish from this place. The only question is well, is, is when. You see, the earth is the Lord's. He is the king, and while we've done an incredible job of vandalizing it with our self-centeredness, the way things are are not the way things will always be, and there will be a day of reckoning. He is sure of it. He just wants to see it happen sooner rather than later. And God has given to us not only his promise, but his pledge in the form of his own son, who came and lived among us, Who lived a beautiful life, loving and serving people. And yet, suffered a cruel death at the hands of those who had power. His life, breath, slowly expiring from him. He was buried in the tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And so Peter, the apostle, that disciple who denied Jesus when he had been arrested and was on trial. Now marches back into Jerusalem, having seen the resurrected Jesus. And he declares to those very powers that would oppress, this Jesus, you crucified by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up. And of that, we are all witnesses. So you see, my friends, the king of kings owns this world. And it does grieve his heart. And so when we lament, we come into the sphere of God's indignation and longing himself for things to be different. And so he's given us Jesus, who now reigns as the King of this creation. And while that day of reckoning is coming, right now, and who knows for how much longer, this is the day of grace. And he calls people like you and me to turn from our self centeredness and to turn to trust in him and to faith in him, to live for him. And there will be a day when that final day of reckoning comes. The earth that belongs to the Lord will be completely renewed, and there will be no more harm. There will be no more hurt. There will be no more violence, no more oppression. Jesus will guarantee it. I want to tell you a quick story about um, Nellie Ruth Gunn. But before I do that, I need to tell you about what happened to her son. And to do that, I want to tell you um, the experience of Alan Cross. He was or is a minister of Gateway Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. And I saw this on his Twitter feed the other day about the experience he had back in 2016. And this is what he said. 2016, praying with Greg Gunn's mother three days after her son was murdered changed me. Mr. Smith, an officer, chased Mr. Gunn, who's 58 years old, used his taser on him three times, struck him with a metal baton, and fired seven bullets from his gun. Five hit Mr. Gunn, who died Steps from his home. Just a couple of days after Greg Gunn was brutally killed by Montgomery police officer Aaron Cody Smith, I felt compelled to visit his mother, Nellie Ruth Gunn, led by two black ministers in the community who were my friends. When I went to listen, grieve, and pray with Mrs. Gunn and neighbors with my friends Terrence and Kevin, the weight of the pain was overwhelming. Mrs. Gunn was a Christian, In her late 80s, she was 26, 27, during the Montgomery bus boycott. She lived through all the civil rights movement in Montgomery, Dr. King, Rosa Parks, Freedom Riders, Selma March, all to see her son shot dead in her yard by a white cop 60 years later. Neighbors who came to their porches in the middle of the night when they heard seven uh, shots ring out told me Greg Gunn laid there in his yard for five minutes crying for his mother. They could hear him. They said aid was not rendered and she was kept from him. He died in the grass. So three days after the murder, the whole community knew what had happened and they told me and my friends because we showed up, grieved, and asked Mrs. Gunn died last year. It took almost four years for the trial of Officer Smith to happen, and she died before she saw her son's killer brought to justice. Before I tell you what she said in 2016, let me just clarify. The trial of the officer who was found guilty of murdering this man happened last year and was completed in November. And so three years earlier, this is what Mrs. Gunn said. God turned it around and made it good. I don't care how a man do. God's got the last say-so. What enables a grieving mother who witnessed the death of her son to be so confident that God's got this? How can she say before she sees the trial and this man who murdered her son brought to justice, how can she be so confident that God has made it good that he has turned it around, that it doesn't matter what a man do, God's got the last say-so. Only if her faith is rooted in the God who sees and the God who cares and the God who has promised in Jesus to one day set this world to right. This is how Psalm 10 ends. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart you will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Did you get that? God hears the desire of the afflicted. He strengthens their heart. He inclines his ear to do justice for them so that man, women, humans may not strike terror in the earth anymore. That day is coming. So my friends, when we lament, we align our heart with God's intent. Lament aligns our heart with God's intent. So bring your honest questions to God. Let him know the rage that you feel. Because in Christ, God isn't just our creator. He becomes our father. And so when we feel anguish, when we feel rage, we're invited to come before him and to be honest. And in a sense, to beat our fist upon his chest and to cry upon his shoulder and ask him, how long? How long, O oh Lord? Why? I don't understand. I can't take it anymore. I love what Michael Card said in the book, A Sacred Sorrow. And By the way, if you can find a copy of this book, get it. It is well- worth digesting the subtitle of it is um, (laughs) reaching out to God in the lost language of lament and this is what he said it seems to me we do not need to be taught how to lament what we need is simply the assurance that we can lament we have the questions within us We, we have the desire to see things change We want to know how everything that's happening right now fits in the God's plan. And so we have those questions within us. And so what we're invited to do is to bring them before God. To lay our burdens on his broad shoulders. He can take it. And he wants to assure us when we do. That the way things are now is not the way things will always be. And so lament, my friends, enables us to be honest to God, to bring our real selves and our real pain and our real emotions and our real questions before our real God and Father. My friends, when was the last time you practiced this lost language of lament? The invitation is for us to do it, and maybe that's one of our greatest callings as a church right now, to be able to cry out and to lament at injustice, at violence, and to long for a better world and to pray for God's kingdom to come. And so I wanna ask this question as we wrap things up here. Is lament the only thing we should do? No. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. These are the words of the prophet Micah. The prophet Isaiah put it this way. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. A true faith in the God who created all things. The God who so loved this world that he sent his son. That we may have eternal life. That kind of faith is burdened for this world. And we're called to use our faith. And to use our actions. And to use our love to bring healing, and to seek to do good in this broken world. So my friends, lament is not the only thing we can do, but it is an essential thing we should do. And perhaps when we lament and we align our heart with God's intent, that keeps us from taking matters into our own hands. I don't know about you, but this last week, I experienced some moments of real darkness I found myself breaking down in the shower one day. Just, I couldn't take it anymore. Seeing videos of things I wish I could unsee. And I went to some dark places. I felt the rage. And yet, in the midst of that brokenness, I heard the Lord in His Spirit wooing me towards Him, to unburden my soul before Him, to tell Him my anger and my questions. And even to question him and what he's doing. And in doing so, he reminds me that he is good. And that he has set a day. And every day we are getting closer to that day when God's kingdom comes in all its fullness, in all its glory. Where there will be nothing but love. And everything that harms will be banished forever and ever. My friends, lament enables us to enter those dark places and to move through them. And to seek God's face and to seek understanding and to learn to trust His heart, even with our questions, even with our pain, even with our anxieties, and even with our desire that things be different. So, Mercy Hill Church, may you be a people who learn well the language of lament because you're going to need it to make it through this world. You're going to need it. Jesus Himself used it. And so, let's take up a calling to become people who lament well and invite others into that language of lament as we align our hearts with God's intent.